Sidekick is live. It is Thursday night, February 10th, the year of our Lord, 2022, jam-packed high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Looking to the left and right, making sure no news breaks. We are due to have a train wreck of a show. We are due to have major news break during a show. Caleb Williams spared us. Brian Harson so far has spared us, so every finger in the building crossed. Uh, we are jam-packed tonight. We're going to get you the very latest out of Auburn. Got some things that have been said over the course of the week. Certainly, it was a busy day on the streets of Birmingham, as most days in Birmingham tend to be, but all the SEC coaches were in town today. And that means, as of this moment, Brian Harson at Auburn, we're going to go all the way out to the West Coast, something I've been accused of not doing nearly enough. We will do it tonight with the USC Mood Tracker. I'm really interested by some of the mailbag questions, so we're going to backload the show with some of them tonight. We've been getting great response about what we've been doing with the Late Kick Extra podcast, and we've put some of that video on the YouTube channel. And you've received it, so we're going to keep doing it. But tonight, some of the questions we couldn't get in the last one, I saw fit to put in the show tonight. For instance, did you know that Oklahoma just changed a coaching staff and still finished with a top 10 recruiting class? It's a really big deal. So Brent Venables locks down the number eight class in the country. Uh, Mario Cristobal and the guys down at Miami had the number 15 class. Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame had a top 10 class. So there are several new staffs that history tells us should mean a disaster for recruiting didn't work out that way. We're going to talk about that tonight. UCF 2017. Someone wanted to know, do I laugh at that national championship they claim? Do I take it seriously? We will discuss, friends. You can go ahead and form your opinion right now. We will discuss. Uh, it's probably about the most important time that you could ever be following on the social channels. At Late Kick Josh, here's the update. It's not really an update. I'm just reminding you, we are not doing a show Sunday night. We will do two Late Kick Lives next week. So Tuesday night and Thursday night. And we will otherwise be back to normal. Uh, you know, had some nice productive conversations with the NFL and we decided to spare them the uh, task, unenviable task, of going head-to-head -head Super Bowl versus late kick on a Sunday night. It's just, you know, it's not a battle that we want to fight. We pick and choose. So we will seed this Sunday to the NFL. I'm going to drive home tonight actually after the show. So I'll be in Georgia. If anyone sees me, stop, say hey, and then move on about your business. we got things to do down there. Looking forward to that, though. At Late Kick Josh, all the social channels. Also, news could break any minute, and so you always want to be tuned in there. So without further ado, let's dive in and let's get to the very latest. Appreciate you guys watching live. I know a lot of you will watch and listen to the replay tomorrow. I can't guarantee that the news will be the same then as it is right now. The Brian Harson situation, what's the very latest out of Auburn? I am stunned that there is no resolution to this. Quite frankly, when I last spoke with you, at least from this studio, it was on Sunday. It's four days ago. And I thought that a move was imminent, and I thought that Brian Harson was going to stay on that beach in Mexico forever because he wouldn't have a job waiting when he got back. Well, that's not the case, at least so far. Birmingham, Alabama was the place to be today. You know, they had the coaches meeting. In fact, we got some video of it we can roll. They had the coaches meetings up there, which is annual. So this is a shot from Birmingham today, and there's Brian Harson leaving the SEC coaches meeting. And he's so frazzled, he picks the wrong black SUV and try and get in. And you got Southern Fried Paparazzi following him all over the place. Talk about a culture shock, by the way. 2020, Brian Harson is up in Idaho. Could have walked to a near street corner and just yelled, I'm Brian Harson," And nothing would have happened. People would have gone on about their business. And now it's 2022, and he can't even sneak out the back of a building on the streets of Birmingham without getting mobbed. Look at that. It was, it was, it's just it's Kardashian treatment, quite frankly, for Brian Harson up in Birmingham. So that's where we are. No one knows anything. There, I saw some reports that he's met with the Auburn administration and, 
you know, so far, go, go to your meetings and then we'll handle whatever we need to handle when you get back. It's a mess that it never was intended to spill out this publicly, obviously. So earlier today, I was thinking to myself, I wonder how many people's opinions have really changed of this guy. So I go on Twitter and I just asked, I love the poll function on Twitter, by the way. And I asked, has your opinion, have your feelings towards Brian Harson changed within the past seven days? That's a week, a calendar week. Uh, more, than, more than a quarter of you said yes. And we know how scientific this is. More than a quarter of you said yes. A lot of these are Auburn fans. Now, it's important to note, kind of renote what we said the other night. Remember on Sunday, I told you there was growing support for Brian Harson, but it wasn't necessarily support for Brian Harson. The closer you get to the Auburn football program, the folks who are speaking out in defense of Brian Harson, they're not thrilled with the recruiting either. They're not thrilled with, you know, what they've seen in the past and now what they see maybe being repeated in terms of offenses when it comes to how you stack a roster and they know who they're going up against. So it's not like they're screaming pro Brian Harson thoughts because they're sure they got the right guy. You might as well have a generic coach. The folks at Auburn, the ones at least that are screaming on that side of the fence, are a lot more upset with the administrative side of things, and they're a lot more upset with what they would call an acronym form JABA, which is just Auburn being Auburn. And they've had some problems long before you ever heard the name Brian Harson. But what interests me is that entire sentiment, people changing their minds on Brian Harson. If this were the political world, for example, Brian Harson has had a win over the past week. Now, in reality, I don't know what it's going to matter. I think eventually, if and when this split happens, it may be a little bit easier for him to find employment down the road because there's the simple understanding in the industry that, well, that's a special case. You know, that guy went into Auburn and he was never given a chance to succeed, or at least that's how he could reasonably be able to sell that. But that aside, like how many people support him and don't support him, all that aside, one point that I've had expressed to me that I wanted to touch on tonight, because I've heard a lot of Auburn folks say it to me. I've seen a lot of Auburn folks say it as well. This has to do with the camp that's on the other side of the fence, the camp that thinks it's time to cut bait. Um, either the, the well is too poisoned now or just flat out, we don't like him. We think they made a mistake. Or some of the Auburn fans never wanted him hired in the first place. That contingent wants to move on. Among that contingent, I've heard a lot of people, you know, among the crowd that is less pro-Harson, I've heard some of the Auburn folks say, I don't really think Brian Harson loves Auburn. You know, I don't get a great vibe off him. A lot of Auburn folks, you know, they believe in the Auburn creed, and so they believe in Auburn, they love Auburn, and some people have been turned off. They think Brian Harson's not quite gotten in with that vibe yet. And I look around, and I say, how in the world could he love Auburn? You know, the, the Auburn you know, if you grew up there, is... That's where I spent my childhood. I grew up 45 minutes from Auburn. I know all about that place. A lot of you graduated from there. Maybe you even played there. At the very least, maybe you grew up rooting for Auburn. That's the Auburn you know, but it's kind of woven into the fabric of your entire life. Brian Harson probably couldn't have picked Auburn, Alabama out on a map this time two years ago. The Auburn he knows is brand new. What Auburn does Brian Harson know? He knows the Auburn that he's had to fight against, at least certain portions of which from day one. He knows the Auburn that has not given him equal resources relative to the teams that they are asking him to compete against. And he also knows the Auburn that has required him essentially to live in a state of booster surveillance ever since he's been there. Who in the world would love Auburn in that position? I wouldn't love Auburn if I were Brian Harson. I could grow to love it. I wouldn't love it right now. So I don't 
Even, even if I'm against the guy, like even if I were to come over to that side and I were to say, I agree in theory with you, it wouldn't be because I don't think the guy loves Auburn. But I was, on a, I was on the board over on Auburn Undercover earlier today trying to get a sense of where the overall sentiment is. And Keith Niebuhr had a really interesting thread he had started a couple of days ago. He said, basically, let's just take the situation right now. And from this point moving forward, what do you guys think the best case scenario is? Okay, you can't go back in time. So from this point forward, and I would say the majority to the supermajority of posters over on Auburn Undercover said, we got to fire him. We got to move on. And, and there, was, there were a lot of folks who said, look, even if I think he's been done wrong, I, I love Auburn more than Brian Harson. Like I'm rooting for Auburn, not Brian Harson. So what's in the best interest for the program and the university is we, we can't turn back on this. We've burned the bridge long ago behind him. There's no way we go back and we have any kind of viable product with him at the helm. And I get that, again, in theory. That logic makes sense to me, but there's, it's one thing to say fire him. I want to address the second part of that, the move on part. Because I've been doing a lot of national radio over the past two or three days, and I've been asked about this a lot, and a lot of folks who aren't really on the ground in the weeds around the situation, they want to know if Harson gets fired, what will the coaching search look like? I think it would be a disaster. I don't even think a legitimate coaching search would be feasible for Auburn right now. And I've spoken to some folks around the industry about this. You take, you take the toxicity that you think exists around the perception of this job right now, turn the volume knob two or three more notches to the right, because that's the real perception. No one with any credibility wants to touch it. That doesn't mean that they couldn't hit a grand slam out of nowhere and find a unicorn, but I'm telling you the names that you would normally incorporate in a major college football coaching search are not going to be names that are on the ledger for Auburn to choose from. Could they find an exception to the rule out there? Could they, go, they could go find a superstar offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator candidate. Sure, they could do that. They could go hire Del McGee, who used to coach high school ball just across the Chattahoochee River in Columbus, Georgia, and he could be a surprise home run that no one ever saw coming. They could do that, okay? I think we all understand that's the exception in the percentages game to the overall rule of if you can't get yourself a major proven winner, you're going to be in some trouble here. I think they'd be in some trouble. So you either have A, the powers that be there just handpicking someone they wanted in the first place, i.e. a Kevin Steele. Uh, B, you could go get a guy whose reputation is damaged goods like Hugh Freeze, which would be ironic considering the guy that you are theoretically pushing out the door is guilty of some of the same things that we have heard from Hugh Freeze in the past. Or C, and this is an option that I've heard floated, but I don't know if anyone's taking it seriously. Hey, what if Auburn just went the interim route for 2022 if they have to make a move here? There, I guess there's a D where Brian Harson keeps his job. It's just no one around the program believes that's going to happen. So in lieu of that, what if the final option there is go the interim route, get your ducks in order or in a row, I guess it would be, and basically just be the first major program on the market for the 2022 coaching cycle instead of trying to pick from the very scraps from the remaining scraps of the 2021 coaching cycle. You're even in a perfect world working at a major disadvantage here if you're about to enter a coaching search. But if you're entering it and also you add in the caveat that the perception of the coaching job at Auburn right now is not the best in the world. In fact, it's very toxic. I don't know if this is the kind of environment that I want to be entering into to conduct a major coaching search. So again, I, I'm assuming that the same crowd that has made a cluster of this, this may be bold to assume, but I'm assuming that they have a plan. 
Let's hope they have a plan. I just could not for the life of me tell you what the plan is at the moment, and it seems that they can't either, because as of today and tonight, we still have no resolution. Earpiece fell out twice there. Uh, I got an interesting email today, and it was from one of you who had been to Academy Sports and Outdoors, and that wasn't the interesting part, because a lot of you send me that. I appreciate it. Please keep sending me that. But then one of you decided to be a really active participant. We have passive listeners. We have active listeners. We have passive viewers. We have active viewers. Well, one of our particularly active viewers slash listeners went to Academy, sent proof via a receipt, and then said, hey, if you talk to Academy again, and I do quite frequently, he said, I am going to include a list of items I think they should carry. And he sent them a wide ranging list of items. And it's very impressive, actually. Um, I'm going to send that list right onto the proper authorities. I don't necessarily know that different brand soft drinks is something that Academy is maybe in the market for right now, uh, but we'll see. Point being, I appreciate you visiting Academy Sports and Outdoors because they are our sole partner. We just told you last week, and I'm going to keep telling you, we re-upped for them through the spring. That was about a five-minute conversation, and we got that done really, really quickly. But here's what I've decided. Of course, you can go there and you can get all your outdoor sporting goods needs. And we know that. And if you need a new jersey, you need team apparel, of course you can go there for that. But I like the interest stories from our audience. For instance, I like the guy who sent me one the other day who said, you know, I've been going to fill in the blank sporting goods outlet for years, but because of the show, I switched to Academy. Here's a picture. I love that. But you know what I would really like to do? I would really like to hear a story out there. And the first pair of you, I guess, who can deliver me valid proof that you as a couple first met at Academy Sports and Outdoors, I'm sending you a chalice of supremacy. Not two, because you are a union now. So I'm sending you one chalice, not chali, not plural, singular. But if anyone out there can prove to me that they met their significant other at an Academy Sports and Outdoors, all kinds of marketability, all kinds of potential, also a chalice of supremacy on the line, so you bring me that proof. I don't necessarily know how you do it. Maybe surveillance video footage. But if you bring me that proof, I got something for you. Okay, let's regroup here. Academy did not know I was going to do that. Let's regroup here. Mood tracker time. Let's go out to Los Angeles, California. And if I could just be selfish for a second, I got something to admit to you tonight. I'm openly rooting for USC. It would be so great for our show. Forget college football for a second. It would be great for our show if the University of Southern California was at the top of the Pac-12 again. It's not that I'm rooting against the rest of the Pac-12. I am heartily rooting for Lincoln Riley to succeed in Southern California. So I want that out there. So if you think I have bias, and it sounds like I'm a little excited right now, well, it's because I am. Again, that's the selfish part of me, but that's not what this segment's about. This is about Mood Tracker. The Mood Tracker is just us taking the temperature of the fan base. Now, around Southern Cal right now, the mood tracker is a little bit different. I don't think I've used this mood ever. They got Muscle Milk as a sponsor on the Coliseum. I didn't know that. That's interesting. So the mood tracker around Southern Cal football right now is what I call heel confidence. That is the mood around the fan base. Heel confidence, for those unfamiliar with the term, is like Ric Flair in the 80s. Ric Flair would come to your town and he would make fun of your women and he would trash your culture and he would go 45 or 50 minutes with your local champ and make it look like he was going to come out on top. And then Ric Flair would pin him one, two, three, and he would leave town and he would smile the entire way. 
That is heel confidence. And USC fans have heel confidence right now. Because the thing about it is, whether you like it or not, most of the college football public hates USC. They hate what they see out there. They don't like them being on top. They certainly do not like perceptionally, the way Lincoln Riley bolted Norman for L.A. They don't like what they perceive that he's done via roster acquisition and building. They don't like any of it. My advice to our viewers there in Southern California and the surrounding area and the entire fan base is lean into it because that's not going anywhere. Lincoln Riley gets this, I think. Um, my, my advice would be to lean into it. And for those of you USC fans who may be like 17 years old, you don't really have any kind of vivid recollection of the early 2000s. Let me clue you in on something. USC ruled college football. That's A. And B, everyone hated them. So this would be nothing new. I would actually argue for USC to be at the peak of the power of what the program can be, you probably need to be doing things that make the rest of college football hate you. I cannot put into strong enough terms now, it's been a generation, I cannot put into strong enough terms in the early 2000s, as a kid growing up in the South, how despised USC football was. I'm growing up in Columbus, Georgia. In fact, what year was it? Was it like 05? It was when Carson Paul, no, it was uh, Matt Leinart, I think there, when they came to play Auburn. And everyone all summer down South said, yeah, Pete Carroll and them, they play those little nobody Pac-12, Pac-10 teams out West. Wait till they get a taste of A, SEC football, and B, Southern humidity. And uh, Auburn could have played until October and would not have scored on USC. It enraged everybody. Oh, they hated it. It was like kicking over an ant bed anytime you mentioned USC football down south. It could be that way again. It's like the James Earl Jones talk in Field of Dreams. It was all that once was good, and it could be again. Well, USC could be that. It's like a decent, it's like a C-plus James Earl Jones. I try. But that could be USC. And so when you see what they've done in the portal, they're going to keep doing it. Uh, when you see a few more elite recruits from the high school ranks stay home that otherwise would have gone to Bama or Clemson or Texas, wherever the case may be, they're not going to like that. Uh, they're not going to like that smile on Lincoln Riley's face when they start moving up the ranks a little bit, whether it be recruiting or on the field. They're not going to like any of it. Okay, that is going to be status quo. That's a constant. I would just advise leaning into it. And that's what a lot of USC fans are already doing. And for the few remaining holdouts out there, uh, and, and uh, listen, Southern California, I get it. Appearances matter a lot. You want people to like you. In this case, the more they hate you, the better off the program is. And so heel confidence is what USC fans are feeling a lot right now. And this is early on. They haven't even conducted a spring practice under Lincoln Riley yet, but I expect that to continue. And you know when you're in danger? You're in danger when they start talking good about you. You're in danger when some random person in like Joplin, Missouri is saying, USC, ah, they're all right with me. No, no. You, you will have direct correlation between the anger and the total despise level in Joplin, Missouri towards USC and uh, how good you're actually doing as a football program. Two shout outs for Joplin. It's not only fight on, it's two shout outs for Joplin on the show tonight. We have a lot of mailbag to get to. We have a really, really loaded mailbag, actually. Also, I wanted to check something here. Okay, we're good. Um, who do we want to start with? So let's go with Jay's question first, guys. So the other day, we do the Late Kick Extra podcast, and we had so many good questions. I mean, there are dozens of them I still didn't get to yet. 
But this question is from Jay. I wanted to hit it tonight. He said, do you see teams in the SEC East, Georgia withstanding, start to buy in more like we see in the West? It seems like most programs have got their best fit at head coach, and they just need the higher-ups to say yes more. It's an interesting observation. I was talking to an administrative type the other day. We were talking about Auburn, and he said, you know, we're kind of talking about the plight of Auburn, how hard that job is, yada, yada, yada. And he said, you realize that if you were to just take a poll of every SEC fan base, not just in the East, think about the entire SEC. Think about how crazy this is. If you took a poll from every fan base in the SEC right now, you would have well over a 60% approval rating for every head coach not named Brian Harson. Everybody is, to varying degrees, satisfied. A lot of them are new. So Shane Beamer's new, uh, Billy Napier's brand new, Josh Heupel, second year in. But the thing about Heupel, the thing about Shane Beamer, they gave their fan bases a lot to be excited about in year one. Billy Napier has not even conducted a spring practice himself. He's given Florida fans a lot to be excited about. You know, Mark Stoops is probably one of the highest approval ratings this side of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart in all the SEC. So my answer is, yeah, like relatively speaking, there seems to be progress being made there. And certainly, like, I don't think there is necessarily an investment issue. I don't think that. I think maybe there have been hiring issues in the past. I think maybe there have been decision-making issues in the past. I haven't looked at Tennessee football or even South Carolina football and said they're not beating Georgia because they refuse to spend money necessary to keep up. I haven't said that. I may have said it about Florida a time or 10, and it was right. But if you've looked at the headlines since Billy Napier got into Gainesville, the first things he started to address were pretty basic things, nutrition, uh, player housing, had to take care of that dastardly parking ticket situation down there. Uh, he, is, he has won the masses over by providing shelter and providing food and making sure that you don't have to check your windshield wiper if you've been parked somewhere for 20 minutes. Point being, if I'm looking around the SEC East, like where is... Where is the biggest rub from fan base to coach? Would it be in Missouri? Is that where it would be? Would it be Eli Drinkwitz? I think everyone is, to varying degrees, happy right now. But now we enter second seasons for guys like Josh Heupel, guys like Shane Beamer. And it's pivotal because, see, at South Carolina, they just did what would indicate to you they need to do to take a quantum leap forward. They landed a premier quarterback name out of the transfer portal. That's great. But there's not a downside, but there is a B-side to that. Uh, I'm told back in the day they used to sell something called a record, and they had an A-side and a B-side. Well, on the B-side is like the follow-up. So you land guys out of the transfer portal, like Spencer Rattler, and everyone celebrates. Then you flip it over, and the B-side is, okay, but kind of need to win this fall. So we got to wait on that. Josh Heupel, in year one, everyone was and should be very excited about what they saw out of Josh Heupel in, in what looked to be a no-win situation. And they won seven games, and they were inches away a couple of times from winning a couple of more. Hendon Hooker is not on any Heisman preseason watch list, which I kind, kind of find fascinating. I don't think it would be the most crazy thing in the world to see a Josh Heupel quarterback come out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, Kenny Pickett did it last year. So I'm telling you, Hendon Hooker in Tennessee could do it. feel the same way about Jackson Dart at Ole Miss, by the way. Yeah. Year two is going to be not a, not a make or break by any stretch, but the answer to this question will be a lot more emphatic at the end of this upcoming season than it is right now. Good question, though.
Think about that. Like every SEC program outside of Auburn, 13 of 14, to varying degrees, happy with their situation right now. You know that means there is a complete and utter disaster that's going to unfold over the next two or three years. Because that can't last. There aren't enough wins to go around. So it's going to, this thing's going to be a mushroom cloud in a couple of years. Enjoy the smiley faces while you can. Next up, who do we want to go with? I didn't even know what this name was, actually. So courtesy of our buddy CBR, SNR, he said, How impressed were you with the way Brent Venables closed with a top eight class, highest OU class in two years? The short answer is very impressed, borderline stunned that that was able to happen. But then I was looking with producer Jesse before we went on air, and I was saying, how high was this class rated? It was number eight in the country, but, you know, if Alabama finished number eight, it'd be one of the worst classes Saban's ever had. Well, Oklahoma finishes number eight. What does that mean? There was only one class that Riley had in his time there that finished higher than this. And it was like two or three years ago, they finished sixth. They had one other class, I think, that finished eighth. Point being. Brent Venables came in, and while everyone's attention was on the transfer portal and, you know, how many players are we losing to the portal, Brent Venables came in, and those guys did a heck of a job keeping a class together that rates with an average player rating of over 91 and also sits squarely inside the top 10. And that's pivotal and necessary because Texas is up at, I think, number five is where the Longhorns finished. So it was necessary, but it's very good because at least what that is, is it's an indication from Oklahoma commits who got a taste of Brent Venables and that new staff there that that's something they want to buy into. That's all you can sell. Brent Venables can't sell his resume as a head coach. doesn't have one. But what he can do is he can interact with you, albeit in a brief period of time. He can interact with you. He can sell you on what the game plan is, what the blueprint is. He can sell you on how he observed it firsthand at Clemson. He can sell you on the fact that he knows Oklahoma. He's no stranger to Norman and the surrounding areas. And if you'll just believe in it, I've seen it done. I've been a part of it being done. We will get it done here. I have to have guys like you in order to do that. Enough kids had that appeal to them that Oklahoma finished with a top 10 class. And again, they had like 20 minutes to put it together. They were barely in the door before it was signing day. So then that's the A side. What's the B side? Well, the B side is everyone will expect if this guy finished top 10 with like a month to work on a class, imagine what he'll do with an entire cycle. And that's great. And it makes total sense to think that way. Now you got to back it up. It would look kind of strange, for example, if Brent Venables in Oklahoma were sitting there next February saying, all right, well, finishing 17th here. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not the end of the world, but it would be a, a very poor sophomore effort relative to what they just put together. So it was very impressive. I think another thing to pay attention to with Venables, and quite frankly, from this point moving forward, any head coach who lacks experience, either a first-timer or just has a few years under his belt, when they get major jobs, I, I cannot stress enough how much more layered the role of a head coach is now than it even was five years ago. When you see new things come into the equation, like the transfer portal, like NIL, and all that that encompasses, like those, are, those are very quick statements and very quick sentences. There is so much. You could talk eight hours straight about both of those topics. Well, think about what you have to be as a head coach. And that's on top of player development, player acquisition, the classical senses. Uh, that's on top of having to market your program and be the face of your program. It's on top of all the other things you have to do. Now, all of a sudden, you have to understand principles of marketing and you have to understand branding 
And you have to understand how to pitch that to kids in the NIL era in a much different way than you used to. You also have to understand how to build a college scouting department to fully leverage the transfer portal. There's so much that you have to know now that you never had to know before that you spend just fractions of your time on football. I think one of the biggest surprises that the general college football public would come to realize if you, if you truly had all access to a program is how little time head coaches spend on football to the point where you, you, better, you better have your P's and Q's in a row as a, just a football mind before you get one of those jobs because you don't have a whole lot of time. I, I mean, it's not like you're going to clinics and chalk talk sessions every other week. You don't have time to. Uh, you really, you really got to manage your time right to keep your game sharp. Think about how basic that is. Being a head coach, especially if you're a play caller, Ryan Day at Ohio State. Like, it is, it is a struggle. You have got to fight to keep your edge about yourself just as an offensive mind. Because every second you spend on that is a second that's not being dedicated to managing every other aspect of the program. That's why hiring the right people is very, very important. And that's also why it's so critical for your university to give you a big enough budget and to allocate enough heads, enough positions of employment to where you can fill out an army of a staff. Nick Saban doesn't do that just because he wants to accumulate bodies up there. Kirby Smart doesn't do that just because he likes a more full office. They do it because there are so many aspects of a program that it's impossible for one man to run it. Doesn't matter, 24 hours in a day in every state in the union, you gotta have the right people in the building. All right, the last one here, and I saved it for last because it could be very controversial and who knows where this is gonna go. I know the live chat will handle this with the maturity that I've come to expect from our live chat. Andy Warren asked, on a scale of one to 10, how hard do you laugh when UCF fans claim a title in 2017? I laughed pretty hard. So that's my answer. I just wanna be honest with you. I kinda thought the entire concept was a joke. I didn't take the claim seriously. But I will tell you there is, this is the third time I've said this tonight, there is a side B to this opinion as well. At, at its outset, when we were in the moment, remember what the situation was. This was the year that Alabama and Georgia ended up rematching in a title game for the first time. And there were a lot of Central Florida folks who were buying into one of the biggest lies in college football, which is you are what your record says you are. It's a lie. It's a trap. Don't fall into it. But if you put yourself in the shoes of a UCF grad or player or coach or fan, I want to ask you, including myself, how would you have acted differently? And your answer, if you're being honest, is you would have done the same thing. You would have been mad for the same reasons, especially if I had any administrative role at UCF, and this is where I want to give you the side B, I wouldn't have done anything different. I would have understood, even if in the back of my mind I knew competitively we don't we don't compete at the same level of football as those two do, Bama and Georgia. I get that, okay? That would have been me in the back room. But when I walked through the curtain and I faced my constituents, I would have said, hang the banner. That's what I would have said. And we would have that banner hanging proudly down there in the old bounce house, as they call it. But also, that wasn't the trick for UCF. I, I know Danny White was the AD there at the time. And I know that in a front-facing manner, he, he read all the right bullet points. Danny White is not an idiot. He's at Tennessee now for a reason. Called him Mike White the other day. How shameful was that? Danny White knew exactly what he was doing. You can't even begin to quantify how much free marketing they got out of that. 
mean, there are a lot of people who are hyper aware of University of Central Florida football now that did not know it from Adam back in 2016 or 17. They got so much valuable marketing and branding out of that. And they also, they kind of painted themselves as a representation of a cause. UCF football went from a brand that has a little cartoon night that you may or may not have heard of to all of a sudden being the face for a little guy everywhere, for the underappreciated guy in your office, or just take it on the athletic field to any kind of team that's ever been overlooked or any kind of competitor or group of competitors that have never been given a fair shot. All of a sudden, that became UCF football. They were the little guy. They were the everyman. And they did it by getting you riled up because they gave themselves a fictitious championship that really, it's not tangible, it doesn't exist. It's a banner that hangs in their stadium. But they got folks so worked up, so worked up, and they kind of sat back. And like, I got a sister who I argue with all sorts of things on, and one of the most aggravating things is knowing she's wrong about something, which is just a fact, she is, but she will not raise her voice, even as I raise my voice, and my face gets red, She'll just say, well, you know, okay, you can believe what you want to believe. Two plus two is four. You think two plus two is seven. Ah, tomato, tomato. You know, we, got, we all got opinions. Well, it's not an opinion. You know, blue is the best color is an opinion. Two plus two is four is a fact. And yet you're telling me it's not. Well, back then it was Alabama and Georgia are playing in what is called the national championship game. You went to the Peach Bowl. You played an Auburn team, who I had a player, by the way, tell me was the, like the sixth biggest game they played that year. And you won the Peach Bowl. Congratulations. That makes you Peach Bowl champs. That doesn't make you national champs. That was the cry. And UCF sat back and went, no, I still think we're going to call ourselves champs. And then everyone pulled their hair out. What do you think happened to me? I used to have long flowing locks before 2017. And then that happened. And I got mad. But then I, I started to understand it. And I started to look down there. The more Danny White stroked his chin... I realized, wait a second, is he playing me? Am I being punked? Yep, we got punked. So UCF, yeah, you can laugh at the concept that they're the national champions in 2017, but what they accomplished was so much bigger than that. Oh, and by the way, where are they headed? They are headed to the Big 12. So they very soon will be a quote-unquote power five team to the point where, you know, Cincinnati just pulled it off. Maybe Central Florida becomes the second former G5 team. I guess that'd be a former G5 team. That'd be a P5 team to make it. I think it was very, very shrewd marketing. That's what I think it was. And I think a lot of folks got it and they were well ahead of the curve on it. So I would have done the same thing UCF did. Uh, thank you so much for being tuned in. Remember, give us a like if you haven't already. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And remember, make sure you're following on the social channels. There, there is so much, and in the future, maybe even more that happens that I don't share on the show. Think about if something personal were to happen that directly applies to me professionally that is, is not, you know, CBS, it's not anything else that you may be interested in. Well, that's where I'd share it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste time on the show sharing it. So anyway, at Late Kick Josh, make sure you're following Instagram and Twitter. And uh, that's a wrap for our show. Really appreciate you guys. Good numbers, in fact, great numbers. And we really appreciate that. So for Director Colin, Producer Jesse, our production executives, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your evening and God bless.